0: Hello, and welcome to Ask Dr. Dawn. The opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers, and this is a program intended for education and entertainment. It should not be construed as a substitute for a medical consultation. Uh, Today's program is going to focus on, well, it's a little bit of a geek out, but I promise to uh, provide some useful uh, health tips along the way. So, uh, bear with me as I journey into a discussion of something you probably didn't learn much about in biology, uh, but one of the things that I think is, well, possibly one of the more exciting things that ever happened on this planet. Uh, We've been listening to a lot of uh, YouTube on early life and uh, how it all got started, very deep biochemistry in my house. Uh, Mostly I've been, my husband's been listening to it as I walk by, but of course he wants to tell me all the good parts. So I was inspired after our conversations this morning to uh, focus on the mitochondria Inside every one of your cells, there's a host of tiny little power plants that harness food and oxygen to create a fuel that powers all of your cellular processes. This fuel is called ATP, and it is generated uh, very, very quickly. There is another process that we sometimes steal from the bacteria to get energy that is less efficient and also generates lactic acid as a byproduct. So you might be familiar with lactic acid. Among other things, it's part of what gives yogurt its unique taste, uh, sauerkraut as well, and lactic acid or lactomalic fermentation, is one of the ways that bacteria get their energy on. Now, we are constantly producing ATP and using ATP. In fact, it's been calculated that if all of your production of ATP were to shut down at any given moment, you would have about 17 seconds of life fuel or ATP in your body. Well, this brings me to one of the, one of the poisons, uh, just to, sometimes in science, you know, we try to break something in order to understand what, what it does. Well, we don't really need to do that experiment, but cyanide works by irreversibly binding to iron ions and one of the chemicals, uh, the, one of the structures, I guess I should call it more of a, a molecular structure, cytochrome oxidase 3. And what cyanide does is it stops it in its tracks. You can no longer take oxygen and turn it into water, which means you can't pass that water on to the next stre- step in the process. So massive overdose, of course, is lethal. But uh, cyanide toxicity is actually fairly common and often missed. Uh, Part of the problem with that is that if you're in a fire uh, or breathe fire smoke, you're probably going to be breathing in some some cyanide, and this highly reactive molecule will react with your mitochondria. One of the forms of B12 is actually a good antidote, and another antidote, surprisingly enough, is amyl nitrate. A uh, long time ago, that was a popular club drug uh, called Piper poppers, and it uh, is a little bit like, well, nitrogen in general, it kind of gets you a little stoned for a couple of seconds, and we humans just love to mess up our brains, don't we? Lots of other metals act on mitochondria as well in uh, things like arsenic, uh, lead, mercury, and they interfere with other enzymes in the mitochondria, also sapping the body's energy, just not quite as dramatically as cyanide. Now, this brings us to back to the mitochondria and to what may be most likely is at the root of one of the more common forms of long COVID myalgic encephalitis chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, now this is a uh, entity that's been around under a lot of different names over the years and I'll give you some of those in a minute but let's first go to the CDC and look at the case definition. So first of all, in order to be diagnosed you have to have fatigue lasting for more than six months plus you have to have one of uh, four of the following eight uh, manifestations. Muscle pain, uh, short-term memory impairment, unrestorative sleep, post-exercise pain that lasts longer than 24 hours, uh, joint pain with, uh, without redness or swelling, a new type of headache or a drastic shift in an existing headache pattern, frequent and recurrent sore throat, and tender lymph nodes in the neck and in the uh, in the axilla, that is to say, the underarm. Now, gee, as a functional medicine physician, when I listen to that set of symptoms, it sounds a lot like other things that people have come into telling me they have moldy building toxicity, chronic Lyme disease, yuppie flu, that is to say, recurrent or persistent Epstein Barr virus. Chronic fatigue syndrome, adrenal fatigue, and here's one from uh, about 100 years ago, an entity that you'll find in old medical books called asthenia, with a TH in there. And asthenia is basically chronic fatigue. And so now we have this newer, better term, myalgic encephalitis, because the key features of this are brain fog. Uh, short-term memory impairment and muscle pain. So they threw that in, and then of course the fatigue is uh, another big one. So the name is trying to be kind of an omnibus and cover all the big hit all the big systems that are affected. So tonight we're going to do a deep dive into the mitochondria, into PASC, which is the latest acronym to emerge around COVID, and this is post acute sequelae of COVID, and uh, cellular physiology. But first, I thought I'd give you some practical suggestions about what you might try from a functional medicine standpoint if you or your long ones have post-COVID syndrome. So, first of all, I want to talk about diet, because you can't do functional medicine without getting away from the standard American diet. The standard American diet is very pro-inflammatory. It raises insulin, which is additionally pro-inflammatory. Uh, it generates free radicals and reactive oxygen species and has a lot of funky chemicals that we probably don't need to be eating anyway and that use a lot of energy in our liver to detox and get rid of. So what would we like? We'd like an anti-inflammatory diet Shorthand for that, lots of fiber, lots of fruits and vegetables. A low glycemic, meaning not a lot of sugar, not a lot of of uh, high glycemic foods like starchy foods, pasta, most breads, most grains if they've been ground up. Certain things that, uh, okay, high quality fat. What's high quality fat? Well, basically not trans fats and not most animal fats because again they come along with a lot of concentrated stuff that your body has to deal with things like avocado walnut coconut oils those are going to be your healthier fats in terms of supporting healthy mitochondria for improved energy production but there are a number of other things that when we think about what's going on with the mitochondria and we'll go over this again at the end antioxidant supplementation, like vitamin C, vitamin E. How much? A couple thousand milligrams of vitamin C, uh, 800, u- 800 to 1,200 units of mixed tocopherols, that is to see uh, not just alpha tocopherol, which is the standard supplement vitamin E, but also the gammas. And the Deltas, those, interestingly enough, don't stay around in the bloodstream to be measured because they get sucked into up by the cells as the good stuff, like the best flavor, uh, the best one in the box of chocolates. Uh, those get eaten first. Another one that's good is selenium. got to watch out with selenium, though. It's in a lot of supplements, and you do not want to get more than about 800 micrograms of selenium in. In the aggregate, also got to watch out if you've got a Jones for Brazil nuts, they're very high in selenium. So you want to check your doses. I like to go to a site called myfooddata.com, which uh, I think is a very ethical site. Not a lot of hidden advertising, not selling your information about your searches, but providing really nice sliced and diced nutritional content data, myfooddata.com. Okay, plant-based diets. Uh, plants have so many different actions that modulate mitochondrial function. They contain these cofactors. They reduce inflammation. They induce, actually, the resolution of inflammation by causing the cellular production and elaboration of anti-inflammatory compounds, like the good interfer- uh, interferon IL-10 plant-based diets also, mod- also actually modify the microbiome and have anti-pathogen functioning. They make that microbiome better ground cover to keep the bad things out. CoQ10 supplementation is really important. One of the things CoQ10 does is it is an important antioxidant in the mitochondria, and it actually helps carry around uh, electrons. So it's key feature at what we would call a cofactor in the electron transport chain, which is how we make that ATP that I was talking about earlier. Another thing is N-acetylcysteine supplementation. If you give high enough doses, and how much is that? About 1,200 milligrams. N-acetylcysteine directly acts as an antioxidant. It also has the the ability to generate in many people glutathione. And so this has been one of the things, along with vitamin D, I will point out, that have been tried back two or three years ago when we were dealing with admitting people to the hospital with severe risk of, with severe risk of uh, bad COVID, you know, ending up in the ICU, uh, N-acetylcysteine, which can be given intravenously, uh, the, it's often, it's been used therapeutically in cystic fibrosis uh, for many, many years in nebulization and so you can actually inhale it into your lungs where it's a strong antioxidant really great if someone has bad lungs and covid Uh, another one is acetyl l-carnitine this is key to mitochondrial functioning Uh, it also promotes the expression of nerve growth uh, factors it helps generate regenerate peripheral nerves improves nerve conduction And it is one of the dietary supplements that I recommend for diabetic neuropathy. About 500 to 1,000 milligrams of this is the dose. We also have one that I use in diabetic neuropathy a lot, alpha-lipoic acid. Uh, It acts as a coenzyme, again, in mitochondrial reactions that involve glucose. So it's an important cofactor. ALA also, interestingly enough is a liver protectant. If it's given in high doses intravenously, it can prevent the liver toxicity of mushroom poisoning. And I was at the uh, fungus fair a couple of weekends ago, uh, enjoying looking at all of those very benign looking amanita mushrooms that don't look anything like the pretty red one with the dots on it, but are equally toxic. And Definitely the things that there are definitely bad mushrooms that grow in our woods that you can fall afoul of. Children, uh, don't go picking mushrooms without someone really trained in it. And even then, small doses. Trust the uh, people who are actually producing it uh, in controlled circumstances for large amounts of dietary consumption, in my opinion. And there's one more thing about the mitochondria. Physical activity at a moderate level. So take your heart rate. What do I mean? Take take your age. Okay. Now take 220 and subtract your age. Now take that number and cut it in half. And that's the heart rate that we're talking about when we talk about moderate intensity training. That's where it starts. And then 75% of that is your maximum. So that's 50 to 75% of maximum capacity in a continuous fashion, not necessarily interval training, but persistent training. So essentially you're putting a low level demand, not enough to drop yourself into the production of lactic acid. And that low level demand is turning on the mitochondrial DNA and causing the reproduction of more mitochondria in the tissue that you're using. Muscles are capable of, well, generating more mitochondria, and that's part of how muscles develop strength and endurance, so this is effectively a low-level endurance exercise practiced for hours and hours. So now we're gonna jump into uh, some research. One of the early studies done uh, on Covid, uh, looking at people who were ill six months after mild COVID, found that about half of those people met the criteria for myo- myalgia- myalgic encephalitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. So they thought, well, there could be a link between this post-acute sequelae of SARS, long COVID, uh, and mitochondrial dysfunction. So they went hunting. And one of the things they found was lots of neuropsychiatric con, uh, conditions. A substantial number of those coming after all the other COVID symptoms had uh, cleared. It, autopsies of the brains of people who died convert, confirmed that there was coronavirus in the central nervous system, and it liked the brain. There were high levels in the brain. And follow-up studies in Germany and the UK found l- 20 to 70% of post Uh, acute uh, uh, symptoms of COVID, sequelae of COVID, had psychiatric uh, symptoms, 20 to 70%. And many of these were young adults. What are we talking about? Brain fog, difficulty concentrating, forgetfulness, depression, uh, and relapse, okay? Coming, these symptoms, coming back with exercise or extreme physical or mental activity or with extreme stress. So almost as if the it get, it gets better and your brain is functioning, but it's easily tipped back into this inflammatory pattern. There have also been some studies, it's early yet to be able to uh, say this for sure, but uh Post-acute uh, sequelae of COVID may lead to an increased long-term risk for neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. I want to emphasize this is not destiny. This is probability, and it is preliminary. So uh, if you've got those two Ps when you're reading science, preliminary and probability, don't take it to the bank, so to speak. Oh, that's interesting, Watch for follow-up, and particularly watch for uh, replication, because things like this definitely can be can be mirages, and we see lots of mirages in science. That's why pres- that's why replication and being honest about what you did and how you did it, so that other people can attempt to replicate it, is so key to good scientific process. And one of the ways that COVID that COVID may lead to mitochondrial damage is through something called redox imbalance. See, the angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 receptor uh, that gets damaged by the SARS-CoV when it gets into the cell, well, one of the things this receptor does is it gets rid of reactive oxygen species. And so these accumulate inside the cells. And reactive oxygen species... And reactive nitrogen species induce mitochondrial dysfunction, and as a result, and they also induce the production of inflammatory cytokines, which themselves cause oxidative stress. So you you create this vicious cycle, this feed-forward loop, of oxidative stress and free radical formation, and that's how you get when it gets into the brain, you get neuroinflammation, which makes our brains not work well. You get reduced cerebral perfusion, less blood flow, because one of the things that doesn't work well is the floodgates and the, the very sophisticated control to increase blood flow to the part of your brain that you are trying to use at that moment. We can see this on MRI, and in fact, we use this to map the activity uh, centers of the brain by, you, by looking at the increased perfusion and the increased use of radioactive glucose. That's how functional MRI works. Another thing that happens is the generation of autoantibodies inside the brain that are directed at neural targets. This is coming through the glial cell system. So there was a study last uh, in 2022 on 50 patients, and uh, during the tests the patients exercised to exhaustion on a bicycle. And what they found was uh, reduced exercise capacity in about a third of the post-COVID patients. But most importantly, this is where it show, it proves the mitochondrial damage. It found increased lactic acid levels earlier in the exercise process and reduced fatty ox- acid oxidation, which is your, keto- your ketosis, right? That's fatty ac- acid oxidation. That only works when you go through the mitochondria. You can't run that through glycolysis. That you can only run glucose fragments through. So this shows, quote-unquote, metabolic reprogramming, where the people had regained their exercise capacity somewhat, but they were doing it in a very inefficient way that generated lactic acid, there you go, with the free radicals and the oxidative stress. So it's thought that... Kars-CoV may actually directly infect the mitochondria uh, leading to the integration of the viral genome into mitochondrial DNA, thus directly impairing the meta, uh, the meta- metabolism and maybe even the production of new mitochondria. This would be this would logically lead to the inf- activating the inflammatory pathways and setting up what are called inflammasomes, which is where a whole suite of genes get turned on and affect the host's both innate and adaptive immune system. And this can get really serious. When, when we talk about the microglia, we mentioned that those are part of the immune system of the brain. Well, part of if if they become impaired, you get impaired autophagy. That's the process of Uh, of of certain cells absorbing and breaking down uh, broken protein deposits, which occur in all cells, but as they accumulate in the brain, they are the hallmarks of both Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. So if you impair the clearance of pathological plaques and neurofibrillary tangles, you're going potentially to jumpstart that imbalance and get, like I said, a feed-forward loop going that's an out-of-control, self-perpetuating, quote-unquote, vicious cycle. So one of the things that uh, they're seeing in people who die l- after, long after SARS-CoV-2, whose brains are studied, is they're seeing evidence of synaptic pruning and neuro loss, neuro, sorry neuron loss that look very much like Alzheimer's disease. And of course, early symptoms of SARS were our loss of smell or decreased sense of smell, which are also precursor symptoms of Parkinson's disease. So, you know, we we know that it's a neurotropic virus that's, you know, staring us in the nose, so to speak, as plain as the nose on our face, I guess, would be a better way of putting it. So... We know about all of these cytokines. We learned about tumor necrosis factor, interferon gamma, interleukins 6 and 10, which are found in the serum of people with SARS. And uh, when the, if the virus gets into the cell, it's going to get into the mitochondria and create this kind of vicious cycle of prolonged hyperinflammation which we also see in bacterial sepsis. And it's, it's essentially the cytokine storm without the ability to, take, to put our foot on the brake. So researchers in, let's see, the Journal of Leukocyte Biology uh, suggest that there's a sustained decrease of the mitochondrial membrane potential related to COVID. This is uh, basically saying that the mitochondria become leaky, and essentially are not able to make as much ATP. And this could, it it may be that uh, some of these cases of long COVID may in fact not be curable. So we want to jump on it quickly with the approach I've already talked about. Lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of fiber, low glycemic diet, high quality plant-based and nut-based fats. And, Remember, if you're not doing well on a ketogenic diet, it may very well be because your mitochondria simply cannot handle generating enough energy, uh, and you'll want to drop that diet and try something else, Uh, using whole grains, for example, rather than ground-up grains, so that you don't kick up the insulin, but you do provide levels of glucose such that your, uh, your remaining mitochondria can... Uh, activate and you can make energy also through just plain glycolysis in a pinch. So antioxidant supplements, selenium C and E. We talked at the earlier in the show about C CoQ10 supplements. I usually tell people to take 300 milligrams. I tell them 1200 milligrams of N-acetylcysteine, 500 to thousand milligrams of acetyl L-carnitine about with for long COVID, about 300 of alpha-lipoic acid taken twice a day. That's a strong dose, and uh, I wouldn't do it for more than six months. But you got to hit it hard to turn around this process. And to the extent that you're able to exercise, this is basically a moderate-speed walk. Okay, Walking, and maybe you'd start out walking just a block and then turning around and walking back. And then in a few days, you go to a full walk to maybe two blocks and so on. But the point is keeping that heart rate at about 50% of 220 minus your age and certainly no higher than 75% of 220 minus your age. That's not hard. It takes time, but if you've got long COVID, you've got a lot of time on your hands. Let's go on and pick up the thread just a little bit. One last story about uh, my, uh, myalgic encephalitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, and COVID. Uh, this one about creatine, something that weightlifters often use to improve their energy. This is an amino acid found in very high levels in muscle tissue. And a recent study Found that it reduced, uh, that there were reduced tissue creatine levels in patients with post COVID. So they just a small study looked at well, what if we supplement? So this was a six month double blind placebo trial. And 12 adults, six got four grams of creatine powder daily, and six got a placebo. And uh, they had to be having moderate to severe fatigue and at least one additional symptom like breathing difficulties, lung pain, body aches, headaches, et cetera. We've already gone over those. Uh, so they looked they used proton magnetic resonance spectroscopy in specific regions of skeletal muscle and brain. And they looked at COVID uh, they looked at COVID symptoms and what they found what they found was increased levels of uh, creatine in the muscles, so they were able to show that it got in, and that correlated really well to improvements in the fatigue score. In fact, uh, the creatine group had a 77% drop in difficulty concentrating after three months and uh, complete elimination at the six-month point, and that also correlated with increased brain concentrations of creatine, and the improvements in general fatigue were... Uh, seen at three months as well. So interesting uh, little study there, and perhaps also uh, suggesting that it's not just the mitochondria that we want to target here. So we have a caller. Uh, hello, caller. Yes. Okay, go ahead and tell me your name and where you're calling from.
1: Okay, so my name is Rose, and I am calling you from
0: Prunedale. Hello, Rose from Prunedale. Prunedale California, yes. We're so happy to have you listening. Yes, yes. I was, I was actually coming
1: from work and I turned on the radio and I'm like, okay. And I heard talk and, you know, you were speaking about all the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, that is, you know, I've been dealing with this for a while and I was kind of writing all the vitamins that you were talking about. And I'm like, okay, you know, like the lung fatigue, the muscle pain. Um, the, the the brain fog, the headaches, the nerves. Actually, you
0: know. Yeah, and you know one of the things that I look for is I'll ask people, "When did you last feel well?" And if they have this myalgia encephalitis, see if they can tell me. You know, this is when it changed, and it's it's not depression. I mean, depression kind of creeps up on you. you know, That's what we, you know, that you get written off, particularly for female. Uh, I think it's even worse. And that may just be because women come, are willing to talk, uh, to, willing to go in and men just stonewall. I don't know. But I do know that there's, uh, it's just, oh, you're, you're depressed. And here, you know, here's your, it, try this, uh, try this pristique and, you know, we'll see how you do. Come, right, come right. back in two months and, you know, you'll be feeling right. better there, there, dear. So,
1: um, right, right. And, and, and also, you know, I want to mention something that is not fair either because the first thing they diagnose you is like, oh, you're in menopause. And I'm like, no. You know, um, I mean, I'm 47 years old and I know my body and I know that what I'm feeling, it's not, it's, it's it, you know, everything started after I came down with COVID. Um, and after till now, it's been three years, and it's just I've been struggling every single day, and I still go to work like this, even feeling you know the you know my nerves are um, the way I feel that my brain it's not working, foggy brain, and all that. So
0: and, and have you been yeah, have I you really been am. offered any kind of uh, therapeutics by your uh, by your doctors?
1: No, no, she just. She the last time I went and saw her, she's like, you know what? I don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, I you know they did a lot of tests on me, and they're like, your blood test comes out good. Everything is good. Um, we don't know,
0: right? And I'm like, okay, yeah. Well, some of the some of the markers that we talked about earlier uh, are useful in the sense that they help us. Figure out who to put in our experimental group, but from the standpoint of what you're telling me, uh, you, you you present a very pre- uh, consistent and convincing case for a person with long COVID. So there mm-hmm. is so there is a couple there, besides the nutritional stuff that we've already talked mm-hmm. about, and you can. Mm-hmm. By the way, if you didn't catch all the doses, this show will be here in the archives. Uh, that's one of the reasons I gave that early in the show and late in the show, or you know, half at the half hour okay, mark, yeah. to make it easier for people to find, so they can go back and check those doses. And uh, you can just go to ksqd.org and then look for the archive, and you'll find this program up there. And we also put it out on the web at askdoctordon.com, and okay, maybe, I'd recommend yeah, askdoctordon.com, and I would. I would recommend uh, that site because we have a lot of uh, interviews and a lot of uh, resources in the resource page, mm-hmm. uh, including, you know, management of acute COVID. But I'm also going to write this up uh, and put it out there as, okay, here's here's the long COVID functional medicine seal of approval. And, oh, by the way, you might throw in some creatinine because that seems to be beneficial as well in another study. And, uh, yeah, I think you have to kind of look at all of that and go, okay, what do I think is the main thing going on with me? And it sounds like uh, a lot, you're tired, but it sounds like you have a lot of brain symptoms.
1: I, I do. I do. It's most on my brain. Like when I, you know, um, yes, it's, it's, it's my brain, my throat hurts sometimes, um, you know, my, like my neck, the part of my neck. I feel like it's sore sometimes. When I, I started doing exercise, I couldn't, I, I didn't have any energy to do exercise. Now I'm kind of getting my energies, not, not like I used to, um, because I, I was a runner. I mm-hmm. always run three miles. Now I can only do, I can only walk, not even a mile. Right. Um, but I can feel it in my brain. I mean, I did, I got a CT and an MRI on my head because I thought something was wrong with me. But no, they're like you, you know, it's clean. So they root out and I said, so what is it? So what is causing this foggy brain? Well, it's
0: it's, inflammation. It's inflammation. It's inflammation and inflammation just makes the nerves work less well. And I mean, you're the speed that the nerve propagates the signal, just, you know, getting down to like the basic, basic Physical stuff here. You've got these nerves. They have these thin little connectors to other nerves, and they send an impulse by opening up a series of gates. And as the sodium uh, that's surrounding the cells flows in, it creates a charge, and this charge runs along the nerve, very much like electricity runs along a wire, yes. but a, but slower, and. But but still pretty fast. Now, if you change the gradient so that there's not as much, uh, so that there's more positive charge, more as you know, more uh, inflammation will change the charge milieu on the outside of the nerve, so you don't get as strong a signal. It's like turning down the power on a rheostat, and the light gets Mm -hmm. dimmer. Well, your brain gets dimmer, and you're not able to literally send thoughts as as quickly and as far. And so it, it's, it's very physical. I mean, ultimately, thought is a physical process at its roots. And brain inflammation, when it hits the emotional centers of the brain, often results in anxiety or depression, and yeah. sometimes both. And yeah. sometimes it depends on, you know, <laughs> the day of the week, because there are other influences, right, that shift things in one direction or another. Yes. So, yes. in terms um, of what you can do about this, you've done a—you're doing a lot of the good stuff. Uh, I yeah,
1: I—I I, I don't consume any sugar. Mm-hmm. I have become vegetarian. I, I, I eat a lot of vegetables. I stayed out of—you know, like, like no sugars at all. I quit cook drinking coffee for three years already. I, everything that I eat is organic. But still, but still, I haven't recovered.
0: Right, I mean, and that's where do I do yeah. Well, I think that the first thing I would do is try and rebuild, uh, shut down any residual inflammation. And we know it's still in there because you're telling me about your brain yes. function. So that's our thermometer, really, I think, is your brain function. The uh, There's a yes. couple of other things that probably should be checked and maybe have been checked. I would definitely check the... Uh, well, let's say the deep brain function, like this breathing pacemaker at night. So we'd want you checked for sleep apnea. I've started doing that in just about all my uh, long long COVID patients, and I'm finding central sleep apnea, which is not obstructive. So it's not because you're overweight. It's not because you have a thick neck. It's not because you have a big tongue or a low palate or any of the other things that we sort of – Think about it's it's I, it's actually that the pacemaker for breathing in your brain is malfunctioning, and it the, the thing it's closest to really is crib death. Although you're not going to die from it, but it definitely can contribute to brain fog, and it definitely can happen after COVID. So uh, a sleep uh, a, I did I did do that I uh-huh. did, do and that. you didn't I have sleep. you didn't have sleep apnea. Uh, No, I didn't. Good, good. Because I feel like that needs to be ruled out in everybody. So I would, I would definitely recommend going to the, uh, going to the, uh, as I've said, you know, go to those those anti-inflammatories and those mitochondrial support things, particularly the acetyl L-carnitine and the acetyl. Is
1: that what it's called? Acetyl. acetyl
0: carnitine. yeah. Yeah. And uh, as I said, why don't you send me. An email. Go, go to the com okay. website and click the Contact Us. That way, I'll get your email. And, that, and I'm, I'm, sometimes I take a week or two to answer the email. But in this case, I'm really motivated to write this up and put it on the okay. website as a resource. So you're going to help me. Uh, you're going to kind of be my coach to make me actually get it done amongst the thousand things that are flowing at me that I'm supposed to get done (laughs) because it's definitely overload winter. Uh, So uh, you'll, you'll help me out by sending me an email and then I will put that, I will put that up on the website in the, uh, in, in the uh, resources uh, to folder, but I'll also send it to you and you'll get the doses there hot off the press. Uh, So do that and consider getting a cytokine panel. This is a test that Quest does and it looks at all of those interleukins and you can use the cytokine panel as kind of a a before and after to see whether you're Mm -hmm. making progress because these cytokines do cross the blood-brain barrier. And so if they're floating around in your bloodstream, they're also getting into your brain. Uh, And Mm -hmm. Again, you're, you're exercising your brain by going to work, but doing something where you're needing to learn something new. It could be brushing up on a language, could be learning to play the recorder, uh, something, um, that, something that's, that involves sound. Thinking. Well, sound, yeah. what you want is you, you want to have sound and you want to have movement of some kind. In the case of language, you're listening, but you're also moving your okay. lips and tongue in interesting ways. In the case of losing a mu- using a musical instrument, and that's kind of like taking your brain for a walk, is the best way okay. I, I can put it. You're uh, don't overexercise. That's also really important because if you push too hard, and I bet you know this, if you push too yeah. hard, then you're barely able to get out of bed the next day. The next day, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I would, and um, I'm not saying you're in menopause, but COVID can screw up your ovaries. No. So get your hormones checked. And beca- um, yeah. get, if, they have, if they haven't already been, you know, some of this is general purpose advice, but get, get your hormones checked because estrogen is a brain hormone. And if the levels are low or they're fluctuating, what I like to do in a woman like yourself is I like to do saliva hormone levels because you spit. And every, every three days you spit into a tube so we get the whole monthly cycle to see what levels you're generating and seeing if we're getting like serious dropouts. Because every woman, well, not every woman that goes through menopause experiences brain fog, but it is a common symptom from menopause. And part of it is the inconsistent release of estrogen from the ovaries. Not so much the levels drop, but that they don't drop steadily, but they spike and tank and spike and tank. And the brain just can't deal with those levels of fluctuation. Okay, where are you located at? Oh, I'm over uh in Santa Cruz on the west side. I'm right off of Mission Drive like you're heading up to Davenport or something. So, not really far okay. for you. And the, you know, the, the information the Ask Doctor Don links to the practice so you can take a look and maybe I'll see you in the office. Absolutely.
1: Yes. So, I'll be sending you an email and um and if, if you can actually uh write down the the laps that I need to get done
0: too. Sure. Include that then, in your um, include that in the email and I will do that.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Then um yeah. Then I am so glad that I actually hear someone talking about this that I'm going through and I'm pretty sure that a lot of people are going through it and it's very sad.
0: It is terribly sad. You're right. And, it, is and, sad. and it, it it sort of breaks your heart as a doctor because I mean I at least have you know these this academy that's standing behind me and reviewing the research and telling me you know all of the science that's coming out and giving me some hope so i walk through this i'm walking through this with some hope whereas if i was in you know just straight standard medicine's you know sitting in a clinic feeling feeling you know my heart going out to these people who can barely you know make a living and have no energy left to you know, play with their kids or enjoy their, any of their other activities. They're just basically, you know, forcing them, you know, forcing themselves to get through their life. That sucks. And you feel hopeless and there's nothing you can do. And you do kind of, yeah. And I think there's a kind of defense mechanism where you get a little dismissive and that's not good. And I, uh, I feel compassion for both sides of that, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Right. Um, uh, one more question. What is your um, your number from your office
0: in Santa Cruz? Oh, uh, the practice, the business line. You mean the phone number? Mm, yes. Yeah. Okay. It's 97. Okay. Okay, Rose. Okay, so. Well, I well, I so I hope I've helped you, and I hope I'll be able to help you further. Bye for now. Oh. Thank you, thank you, Dr. Nung. Thank you, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about ginger. So, one of the problems with autoimmune disease is the malfunction of various aspects of it. Lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, vasculitis, antiphospholipid syndrome. They all involve dysfunctional neutrophil extracellular trap formation or netosis. So you know when they do your white count and they say you have this many lymphocytes and this many neutrophils? Let me tell you about the neutrophils because they are really cool and I've seen some wonderful animations on them. Basically these cells wander around and they have sensors on their surface for pathogens like uh, lipopolysaccharides, which are what you find in bacterial cell walls. If you have a leaky gut, those be- those lipopolysaccharides are going to filter through, and just on the other side of the wall, there's a whole line of neutrophils just sitting there, waiting for something like this to happen. And when they contact the bacteria, they actually explode. They're like a mine. And they explode, and they release this sort of gooey spiderweb-like substance that, first of all, nabs all of the uh, of the bacteria that have gotten through. The presumption is that there's a tear in the gut wall, and bacteria from the in- from the inside of the gut are flooding into the tissue, and they could get into the circulation and make you septic. So these uh, these uh, neutrophils, like, explode like grenades, throw themselves out there, and trap, like in a spider web of quicksand, all of the bacteria. And meanwhile, send out a strong inflammatory signal that causes the inward migration of all sorts of other cells, natural killer cells, uh, lymph- B lymphocytes, uh, T-, T cells, all the whole horde comes of specialty cells comes rushing to the site where the neutrophil has exploded. So, netosis in autoimmune disease becomes dysfunctional. The threshold for doing this lowers, and so you get lots of damage and worsening of disease. And certain botanicals can inhibit netosis in people with autoimmune disease. So this was a study in both mice and humans using whole ginger extract. Now, we're going to give you the specifics. This ginger extract contained 20% gingerols, and it was added to either the mouse feed or given as a 100-milligram supplement for seven days in humans. And so the mice were a model uh, for autoimmune disease and what you were looking for, the, they had the uh, sort of a version of antiphospholipid syndrome, so they were going to develop thromboses in their leg veins. In the human volunteer, uh, volunteers, they actually drew blood and looked at intracellular cyclic AMP, which is uh, levels in neutrophils, and that's an inhibitor of uh, net- netosis, And although it was a very small studies, this did show a improvement in this malfunction of the immune system that is so common in autoimmune disease. And, you know, 100 milligrams of whole ginger extract uh, during lupus flare. I fail to see why we need a higher threshold for proof. It's just... uh, I, I'm just like, why not give it a shot? So it looks like we've got the phone ringing again. Let me pick that up.
2: Hello, Doctor Don.
0: Yeah, we've got just about five minutes. So, what's your name and where are you calling uh, from?
2: Uh, my name's Kurt. I'm in, live in Santa Cruz.
0: Okay, Kurt. <coughs> what's up?
2: And well, uh, so I recently, and I know this is probably a subject for a whole other program, but I just uh, wanted to catch you uh, while I heard you on the radio, and that is. I was recently, uh, last March, diagnosed with retinal dystrophy, and I'm having vision problems. And um, I don't seem to—there doesn't seem to be a clear indication of what's going on with my eyes and what can I do to make it better. So they initially did a cataract on one eye, did a lens implant, and I think it made my vision worse Uh-oh. on that eye, And so I said, please don't do the other. And so I, this was at Stanford. And so um, right now I'm trying to adapt my life. I'm 72 and I'm trying to, you know, maintain as much functionality as I can. But I'm afraid I'm going to be losing my driver's license and a whole host of other things. And I still don't know what to do about my vision. And, you know, the doctors, uh, I mean, there seem to be, I don't know if it's because they don't know or they don't want to tell me. I don't know what's going on.
0: Well, you know, we know what's going on in a phenomenological way, which is to say we can describe it. And there's a lot of different descriptions. And so a lot of work has gone into trying to find genes uh, to see whether there's uh, you know within a similar family what's going on here. And my mom was
2: legally blind.
0: Right, right. So there you go. Early age, yeah. And this the 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 thing that gets mutated, so to speak, are the genes that form the rod and cone, uh, cone photoreceptors, and these are the main cellular units that that physically grab the photon and turn it into a nerve impulse and send it up the optic nerve. So right. the, it's, it's sort of like the, sense, the sensing pigments. They just don't work right. And it's progressive, which is, in, in general, it's progressive. Right. And they've got all these different inheritance <laughs> patterns. X-linked is one of them. And so that's its a possibility. You know, the most common one is retinitis pigmentosa, and that's, right. that occurs, oh, God, maybe something, maybe it's fairly common, like maybe one in 10,000, something like that. And mm-hmm. the, it, that one we can actually see because as the cells, as these rods and cones break down, they spill pigment, and it stains the retina. So mm-hmm. uh, do you know if you have that one?
2: Um, I don't believe it's retinitis pigmentosa. I know a little bit about, I had some anatomy and physiology in college 30 years ago, so I understand a little bit, plus my mom's condition. So, um, what they said was retinitis dystrophy, which when I right. looked it up, it's like a wasting thing. And so what I, they started noticing something with my eyes because I was a commercial pilot for 40 years, and so I've had my eyes monitored pretty well, and I've always had pretty good vision, and it's all that has just happened in like the la, within the last years. Let, and I, let but me ask you, project,
0: did, it, did it start out with night blindness? Was that the first thing you noticed?
2: Yeah, but it was really kind of quick. Uh, so uh, what they've said is they took pictures, they saw some unusual coloration on the back of the retina when they were taking pictures of my retina over the years. My optometrist was mm-hmm. looking at it. And he goes, this is something we should look at. And that started, oh, maybe three years ago, but I never had any symptoms. And then in like the last month, it's like I'm driving at night around and people seem to wear dark clothing, no lights on skateboards and bicycles. And I was getting frightened because there's people on the side of the road and I couldn't see them right. until they were almost in front of my car. And so I told the doctor, I said, we got to do something. And so I went to Stanford and You know, they thought it was cataract because I was getting cataracts at the same time. So the theory was the implant might improve my vision. But as it turned out, the eye that I did have a lens implant, for some reason, I think it exacerbated the condition. Um, And so what they said is my retinas are thinner. They're 50 percent the thickness of what they should be for Mm -hmm. my age.
0: Right. And that's probably because you're you're losing tissue. You're actually losing cells. I don't have a lot to to offer you from the standpoint of therapeutics here, but it makes sense to, you know, do what we do for macular degeneration, which is yeah. a, a there's a a particular a substance. It's a carotenoid called astaxanthin. It's the thing that, well, basically, it's the thing that makes the shrimp pink, and then the Flamingoes eat the shrimp and they have, and they get pink and it's a pink uh, it's a pink color and so it been, absorbs fr- free radicals. So you maybe have been put on things to try to slow the, the degenerative process. Well, that's about all for this week's podcast. Please go to com for news about our future plans. or follow my tweets at@. at ask dr dawn for now this is dr dawn saying so long and stay healthy
2: ask dr dawn is brought to you by jiva media production and editing by charles mansky music by john scoville